three, two, one. Back runners to the Anyone Can Run podcast, the podcast for those brand new to running who want to make sure they begin their journey on the road to Gainesville on the right foot. I am your host, True Bros, aka Gabe, aka the Wits Education Personal Trainer of the Month for November 2019. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shout out to where I got my credentials from. And I am an NCCA certified personal trainer who specializes in playing games, making gains, and helping clients reach their health and fitness goals. This is the podcast where we cover nutrition, training, running gear, everything you need to know about what it takes to complete your first race, whether it's a 5K, full marathon, or anything in between. It is an exciting time here at the Mix Gym, aka True Bros HQ, because as I'm sitting here in the studio, aka the closet, by this time next week, actually it's 8.03 p.m., so I think at this time, exactly this time next week, so like seven days from now, the wife and I will be in fabulous Las Vegas, running up and down Las Vegas Boulevard, passing by those neon-encrusted temples. We are celebrating our one-year wedding anniversary, which was actually yesterday, by running one of the most iconic races in the world, the Rock and Roll Las Vegas Strip at Night. This is a race that I have been ready and raring to tackle again for a couple years now. And if you're curious as to why I'm itching to drop the gains all over the Las Vegas Strip, I recommend you pop back in the archives and find our Run Rock and Roll Las Vegas Race Recap. If you don't really care why I'm spending way too much money to make my way out to the Nevada desert, well that sort of hurts my feelings but I don't blame you too much. However, if you're a new member of the running community and you want to know how someone else who is a certified personal trainer and the best looking gamer of all time. Get it? It's a joke because when I play games, I'm wearing a luchador mask. What? You don't follow the mix, gym? Wow. Anyways. All right. We need to not get off topic. Well, I guess if you're a new member of the running community who is brand new here, uh, that's another thing you can know that I tend to get off topic from time to time. So, if you want to know how an experienced runner who isn't the fastest thing alive, right? I'll readily admit trains for a half marathon, well, you're in luck. Today, I'm going to give you an overview of my training cycle for the Rock and Roll Las Vegas Strip at Night Half Marathon taking place next Sunday, including the cadence of my runs, the gear I've been using, and overall, how it's been going. Speaking of how it's been going, if you recall last week, I mentioned my knee was bugging me a little bit. Well, this past Monday, I tried to go for a run and deduced that my IT band on my left leg is pretty inflamed, so I haven't been taking the stairs in the office at all, or running for that matter, and I've been taking a steady stream of anti-inflammatories over the course of the past week. It's a pretty annoying thing to happen when you're just a couple weeks out from a race, but hey, at least I know I can tackle that distance, and we're tackling the half marathon instead of the full. Since I just mentioned that we're running the half instead of the full, and if you've listened to previous episodes, I'd mentioned we were going to dominate a full 26.2 miles when we ventured out to Sin City. Well, let's go back in time to when this whole ordeal kicked off. I signed up for this race on December 13th, 2018. Yeah, I had to go back in the emails and pull up the exact date, because who remembers when they sign up for stuff? I initially signed the wife and I up for the full marathon, because we knew this was going to take place one week after our one-year wedding anniversary, and we thought, no better way 
to keep us both on the road to Gainesville throughout our first year of marriage than running a full marathon, right? To give a little context, this is the only race my darling is tackling this year, while yours truly took on the run rock and roll New Orleans half in February, I want to say, yeah, February, the Hill Country half marathon last month, or I guess like three weeks ago, and I'll be taking on the run rock and roll San Antonio half marathon next month. So 2019 is easily my best year I've ever had from a running perspective. In fact, I've already logged more miles in 2019 than I ever have before, which is uh, pretty exciting, you know? A few weeks ago, when we recapped the Hill Country Half Marathon, which was our uh, running a half marathon with 36 hours notice episode, I believe I mentioned how when I signed up for that race, the wife said we should change our run rock and roll registration from the full marathon to the half. When you're taking an anniversary trip, I suppose you don't want to be too worn out from just logging a bunch of miles. So next week, I'll be tackling that half marathon hitter instead of the full 26.2. One of the reasons I love run rock and roll races is because they aren't crazy expensive. And when I signed up in December of last year for this race, they were having a sale. So for my registration, I paid $99. Not cheap by any means, right? If a hundred bucks is cheap to you, hey, more power to you. But, but to me, that's uh, it's not super cheap, but it's not terribly expensive. And those sales that they have can save you some serious change. Since we changed our registration about three weeks before race day, because we just changed it, I think, last week, we had to pay the difference, which cost us an extra 73 bucks per person. So needless to say, if you know or you believe that you're going to be able to travel to a run, rock and roll race at any point in the next year, and you're seeing a sale where you can save like $40 or more, I'd recommend you go secure that registration while you can. Save some money. At the start of 2019, I was planning to run a half marathon in February, a full in November, a half in December, and then the notorious Run Disney Dopey Challenge in January of 2020. So needless to say, I had kind of been planning for the winter of 2019 to be pretty heavy on the running. However, plans change from time to to time due to scheduling or injuries or what have you, but ain't nothing but a chicken wing on a shoestring. You've got to be flexible. And that's something I like to think I'm slowly becoming as I log more miles and days under my running belt. As far as the training cycle goes for this race, I think it makes sense as someone who's been running for a few years to look at like the past three months or so. To give a little background on me, every single race, an extended run over eight miles I've ever done pretty much up until Saturday October 26, 2019, was completed using a variation of interval runs. I'd run at a steady clip for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes, and then walk for 1, sometimes 90 seconds. While I'm obviously obsessed with running, my wife isn't the biggest fan, and since we're typically knocking out training runs together, we're doing so using intervals. We've touched on this in past episodes, But the day you begin running with any sort of regularity, whether it's in preparation for a race or just to try and get that cardio knocked out, I implore you, I'm begging you, I'm asking you to download a free running app or fitness tracker of some kind. Doesn't matter if it's RunKeeper, Strava, MapMyRun, the Apple Fitness 
app that they have, the Garmin Fitness app, you've got a bunch of options which don't cost you a dime, have super clean UIs, and most importantly, track and aggregate data in an easily digestible format. The whole reason I'm able to see my progression, not only over the past three months, but really over the past few years, is because I've always tracked my runs with RunKeeper. Regardless if I was using my Pebble Watch, RIP to the greatest smart watch of all time, my Apple Watch, which I used to have, or my Garmin running watch that I'm using now, or literally just by holding my phone. There's no better justification for making training decisions than hard data. And odds are you're running with your phone anyway, because I knew I was before I had any sort of smart watch or fitness tracker or whatever. So fire up one of those apps and begin tracking all the work you put in. That's one of the things I implore my clients to do whenever we begin working together is just track all of your runs, all of your workouts, whatever it is, right? doesn't matter if it's lifting weights. Jot it down in a notepad, on your phone, whatever. Write down the rest, the reps, the seconds, the, the number of sets, the weights, all of it. I want all of that data tracked. And, you know, as I'm talking about this and I'm looking at it, for 2019, because I've had a constant stream of races on the calendar, I've finally begun to truly make running a priority. And I'm regularly skipping out on those post-work happy hours or going and picking up fast food just so I can get out and pound the pavement. I recently began working in an office in mid-September, which means I've lost the flexibility I had to run whenever I wanted, like I had when I was working from home and opening the mixed gym full-time. And when I knew I was going to have that change in schedule... I know it's easy to think, oh no, now that I have that commute, I can't run as much. But I never think like that. I'm always trying to maintain that positive, solution-oriented mindset. Since the majority of my day is spent working and commuting like it is for, you know, pretty much everyone, it just means I can only fit one or two additional things into my daily schedule. I'm not a morning person at all, so running and working out before the sun is up isn't something I'm even remotely interested in. Now, I don't mind doing a quick and light cable upper body session before going into work, but the idea of going for a run that's an hour long when it's like 40 degrees Fahrenheit outside just sounds terrible to me. And you want to enjoy what you're doing so, you know, you actually do it and continue to do it. As such... I situate my workouts at the end of the day. It gives me something to look forward to after being in the office. It helps prevent me from gorging on food late at night like I am wont to do. And it helps me save money, time, and calories by skipping out on those post-work drinks like we just discussed. Speaking of scheduling, I guess this is as pretty much as good a time as any to cover the running gear I've been using. Because maybe some of you psychomaniac runners aren't familiar with the weather patterns in the great state of Texas, especially in the central part of Texas. So allow me to break it down for you. Basically, there is no logical weather pattern in central Texas. Doesn't matter if it's November or December. One day the hide could be 85 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 29 degrees Celsius. And then literally the next day the high will be 45 degrees Fahrenheit, which is around 7 degrees on the sea scale. Needless to say, that makes things difficult to plan for as far as clothing and weather are concerned. 
every single race I've ran up until my most recent, I wore my trusty Texas flag running shorts and a running tank top. I'm the kind of person who gets hot crazy easily and sweats profusely, so this has always been ideal for me. My second marathon was pretty frigid and was at Walt Disney World, so I packed some throwaway sweats and a sweatshirt I picked up at a local Goodwill and got rid of them at different points throughout the race. However, the race from just a few weeks ago was on pretty short notice, so I didn't have time to go check for throwaway clothes, even though I knew it was going to be pretty chilly. I did, however, pick up a jacket and a pair of sweatpants from the Gym Shark Lift Houston event a few weeks back with the intention of using them for air travel, because, you know, you gotta have that swag when you're walking through the airport. And since I was without any warm running clothes, they were called into action, and they excelled. You might think, wow, when did True Bros become such a fashionista? Why is he spending so much time talking about the specific clothes he wears? Is he getting $10,000 checks from different brands for every mention? Believe me, I wish that was the case, but nah, 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 nah. I tell you this for a couple reasons. One, you've got to be cognizant of the climate you're out running in. Typically here in Texas, that means it's hot and humid like 9 to 10 months out of the year. And as a result, most of my running clothes are shorts and tank tops. However, Texas is prone to those sharp weather swings like we just mentioned. And a lot of the races that I've ran over the years have been in a different climate than where I train. And you've just got to keep all that in mind when you're packing for your race. And something I have no qualms admitting is that I am incredibly picky about the clothes and shoes I wear when running. Everything has to be comfortable and loose, but not too loose. And the fabric has to be a certain way. And, you know, I don't know what it is. I'm just super picky. When I head out to Vegas on Friday, obviously I'll be packing my running shorts and my cold running outfit and some throwaway clothes in case it's going to heat up, you know, just to be safe. As far as what I'm going to fuel with mid-race, obviously it's the Honey Stinger Chews, considering I buy them all the time and just recently became a Hive Athlete Ambassador. They chew and go down easy, they taste good, and if you ask me, that's all that matters when you're fueling mid-run. Also, you know, you want to make sure you have enough carbs, but you know, that's a, that's for a non-packing episode discussion. One thing I've alternated between this year is either using a running belt or a handheld hydration flask. However, much of my struggle with this choice can be attributed to needing to carry my phone. I used to own an iPhone 6 Plus, I think, 6S Plus, I don't know what it was. But baby, that was just bonkers big. It wouldn't fit in my pockets or anything, especially with a case on. Now that I've got a Google Pixel, which isn't super jumbo XL, I can comfortably run with it in my pocket, and it doesn't absorb any moisture at all, so I'm mostly just running with it in my shorts. See, that's what I mean when I say I'm super picky. Stuff needs to be fitted, but loose. Hold my phone, but not let any moisture seep through. I just have all these requirements for running gear. But since my phone can go in my pocket now, I've gotten back to using my old Nathan running belt, which I've owned since my first race. And while it's looking a little worse for the wear, it has like this reflective green tape on it and it's like peeled off in a bunch of places, but you know, it's still holding up and I'm going to rock that bad boy until it inevitably falls apart in the wash. I like having my hands clear when I'm running and being able to set the belt low on my 
waste means that nothing's pushing up on my stomach or rubbing against me and just making me uncomfortable. If you ask me, and we're not talking about race course or anything like that, but the most interesting thing about the strip at night is that it takes place, you guessed it, at night, when pretty much every other race kicks off at daybreak. As a result, we've done some of our training runs in the late afternoon to try and adjust to the schedule, but I personally don't think that's too big a deal in terms of being prepared. All it means is we'll try to sleep in and not do too much on race day, like not walk around too much because, man, my favorite thing about being in Vegas and being on the Strip is you can just walk everywhere. It's like four miles, I think, from the, what's it called, the Win to the Tropicana, which is sort of like the beginning and end of the quote-unquote new Strip. And I think it's like four miles. I actually did a video when we were in Vegas this past January for CES. And I actually filmed walking up and down the strip because that's one of my favorite places to run. Uh, a lot of stairs, there's a lot of sidewalks, but I'm also one of those people who just likes to know what they're doing or know what they're getting into whenever they travel. Cause I'm like, you know, pretty prepared and organized. So I filmed the video because I knew the first time I went to the strip and I was like, man, I want to go for a run there. I was kind of thinking to myself, like, you know, what does it look like at the ground level? And I couldn't really find a uh, specific tour. So I filmed my own. I'm by no means a YouTuber. I don't think I'm like saying, hey, go check out YouTube because like I don't post videos on there. But that was one that was one that I posted that I thought was like important to me as a runner. And I thought, well, you know, if any of my fellow runners need it, they'll have it there. But uh, anyways, yeah. From a food perspective, you know, we'll probably just have some sandwiches instead of the usual bagel and peanut butter prior to heading out to the start line. And one of the, like I said, one of the coolest things about this race is because it's at night means you get to have a full day of eating before running, which is pretty sweet. As long as you're intelligent about what you're fueling with. As I say all this, though. Since the race is at night, that means it won't get warmer but colder as the race goes on, presumably. And for the record, you tend to get about 10 degrees hotter when you're out pounding the pavement. So you should always take that into consideration when plotting your race day attire. And, you know, I don't know what the conversion rate is to that from Fahrenheit to Celsius. But, you know, pop it in the Google machine or whatever. You do tend to get hotter as you go running, obviously. And that's something to consider when you're planning for a race, like what you're going to be carrying with you. Like we covered during the 36-hour notice race episode. I got real hot because I didn't look at the weather. I didn't realize that. From the first hour of the race that the temperature outside was going to jump, you know, 10 degrees Fahrenheit and then couple that with the 10 degrees that you get hotter when you're running. It's like a 20 degree swing, uh, which is pretty big for Fahrenheit. So, you know, I uh, didn't plot for that. But anyways, I'll be packing my foam roller, my water bottle, my body glide. And since this race is taking place in the desert... I'll be taking a ton of specific moisturizers and hand lotion and chapstick that I use. I know this doesn't seem particularly relevant to the actual race itself, but like we mentioned, you need to be cognizant of the climate you're running in, especially when traveling for a destination race. I live in Texas where it's humid most of the time. And whenever it gets dry or I go somewhere that is dry, my skin tightens up, my sinuses get dried out so I get nasty headaches, my hands tend to get cry or cry to, they tend to get dry and they'll even crack. 
and I'm the sort of person who is constantly washing their hands or using sanitizer. So my hands already get dry in Texas, but if I go somewhere else, man, it gets even worse and they start to crack pretty fast. When I went to Vegas for my first encounter with the rock and roll race and I had to go to a local mall to look for a running belt, I also needed to swing by the body shop because I think they carry some of the most moisturizing, least greasy, and weakly scented hand lotion around. That's very important to me. Actually, my only requirements, now that I think about it for lotion, is don't be too crazy expensive, don't have a crazy strong scent, don't be too oily and leave my hands feeling, you know, moisturized after a couple washes because, you know, I'm always washing my hands. And... I think the one that the body shop makes is the best in my book. And now whenever we travel, I'm always certain to pack some with me. And obviously, you know, I don't want to drive too crazy far into skincare and self-maintenance and blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to tell you right now, I wish that I had moisturized more 10 years ago. So do yourself a favor and learn from my mistakes. See, it's not just related to running, right? We got to take care of ourselves as runners. We're human beings. We're running in different climates. Just put on some dang moisturizer. And as you're out pounding the pavement right now or driving in the car to work, you might wonder why we're spending so much time talking about all these things besides running. And that's a fair question. In my eyes, when it comes to preparing for a race, we all know you've got to do a healthy amount of running. It takes time to build muscular and physical strength and endurance and to get your body accustomed to the rigors of running. We know that and we dedicate a bunch of time to adequately preparing and training. I'd reckon the other things get overlooked as part of a training cycle. Weather changes, you're running a tire, the gear you're carting around, the stuff you're fueling with mid-race, and if you're traveling, your race day packing list. From my first race to now, the only things I'm still using are the Texas running shorts and the same running belt. I'm using completely different clothing and eats and shoes than I was a couple years ago. And that's good. You know, you find out what you like and what you're comfortable using. But if you're a new runner and you're thinking, man, I want to hear what this experienced runner, this personal trainer, this best looking guy ever, he, I want to know what he's telling me I should keep in mind when I go line up at the start line. It's don't forget you're still a human being who needs to be comfortable. You know, all those tiny annoyances which don't bother you on a two or three mile jaunt, such as dry and cracked hands or wind in your face or chapped lips or whatever. Those could be the straw that breaks the camel's back when you're 22 miles in and you're hurting and you're worn down and you're tired. Anyways, now that we've covered the, uh, I don't even know what you call it, the running gear, the things to keep in mind the bonus stuff, the extracurriculars, let's go with that, <laughs> the, the bonus stuff of running a race. Let's get down to the physical or technical details. If you've ever peeked at the six-month marathon training plan for beginners over at truebros.com, speaking of which, I should probably start doing more posts and videos over there sometime down the road. So let me know if y'all are interested, if, you know, that's what you dig. Anyways, if you've ever peeked at what that plan calls for, you'll notice it entails of four days of running a week, a steady state conditioning run on Tuesdays and Thursdays, a speed run on Saturdays, and a long run on Sunday. 
I use this specific plan as a general guideline or foundation for all the personalized training plans I've built for pretty much every client I've ever worked with. For the past three months, from August to October, I've been keeping the conditioning runs on Tuesdays and Thursdays to a pretty similar pattern. I do running intervals of anywhere from 5 to 10 minutes, and then alternate with one minute of walking. However, my Saturday and Sunday runs were where I allowed myself to sort of fluctuate and get a little lazy. There were times when my speed run would only last like a mile or a mile and a half instead of a set distance and duration like normal. And about half of my Sunday runs were with the wife, so they'd be at her temple or they'd be on my own. And in reviewing all of the data for August, I'm seeing distance-wise I capped out at 8 miles, which isn't ideal when you've got a full marathon on the calendar. I'm seeing the same trend in September. I actually logged into my RunKeeper on the browser and I have it all up right in front of me. And although I did hit the 10 mile mark in September, so yay! October is when I started to realize, I can tell just by thinking about it, it was time when I started to realize it was, uh, you know, time to pick it up and stop being such a lazy brain. So I kicked it into high gear and see I finally hit the 14 mile mark. Uh, the week before the half marathon. I know because we planned to do a cool 17 or 18 miles that weekend of the race, but I ended up taking on the Hill Country Half Marathon, and we changed our November race registrations to the half. Now that I'm looking at the activity logs for the past few months, I'd say that's probably for the best, considering my approach to high mileage, meaning anything above the five-mile mark, had been pretty lackadaisical. But speaking of uh, the interval runs, you know, I'd be, I've been running intervals for years and I've been comfortable doing it. However, due to my penchant for sometimes training with my wife and sometimes going light because I just felt like it when I really should have been pushing it, it hadn't really crossed my mind to either extend the intervals or, you know, try running without them. Considering I've been running for years and I literally get paid by people to build training plans for them, which include a tremendous amount of variation, you'd think that at some point I would have thought to apply that to my own training, but nope, it sure hadn't. I know, I'm a very cerebral and thoughtful trainer when it comes to my own training. This is why it was such a big deal for me when about 30 minutes into the hill country half, the switch flipped and I thought, you know what, let's try and knock this out with no intervals, just continuous running. Things worked out in the end, and while my pace wasn't blazing by any stretch of the imagination, I remember being in the car on the way home after the race and feeling drained, but also crazy excited. It was like my eyes had finally been opened, and I'd realized I was unintentionally holding myself back from progressing. And I don't know about you, but that's something that I've noticed I've done sporadically over the years. So, I switched my conditioning runs to be continuous at the mile mark, or at the hour mark rather, so I'd run continuously for an hour, you know, maybe 65 minutes. I cut my conditioning run speed, I guess, my average pace, by 3 minutes a mile. So I went from 
you know, about 12 minutes a mile to about nine. And then a week later, I found myself with an inflamed IT band. So, uh, you know, do yourself a favor and be sure to increase things gradually from a speed and distance perspective while running. Like I said, I always do that for my clients, but I did it for myself and now I'm paying the price. Fortunately, that's for me. And again, don't say, don't take because I'm saying, hey, this for me is a pretty minor thing. Don't take that to me. Oh yeah, no big deal, right? If you're worried, go see your medical professional. But for me, I know that's not a super big deal. I just need a couple weeks off, some anti-inflammatories and rest. So, but you know, I learned from that. So again, don't, don't just say, cause I'm saying it's a minor in- injury. Don't take that as gospel and, you know, stick to that. Go see your medical professional if you're worried. I kind of wanted to get back to what I was saying about, uh, I'd noticed that I had a tendency to sort of self-sabotage. Well, a few years ago and, you know, probably about four, three, four years ago, I'd regularly skip workouts when there was no reason to. I just would. Up until a few months ago, I'd find myself eating when I wasn't hungry regularly, which obviously led to some weight gain and overall not feeling strong and quick and light and everything I enjoy feeling physically. Although I got a little lazy in September, I can confidently say over the past six months or so as I'm reviewing the data, I haven't skipped a workout when I had no reason to. Now, obviously there were times when something important came up and a workout needed to get shuffled around or occasionally even skipped, but those are becoming the exception, not the norm in my everyday life. I'll admit, I'll tell you right now, the food is something I'm still working on, but I'm getting better. There was a time a few months back where I'd eat full meals despite not being hungry like at all. And fortunately, I've gotten better with that. Now, it's still not ideal. Heck, just today I had like way too many pieces of candy corn and dried mango than I should have. But luckily, I stopped myself after I had, I'll say it was probably like 12 to 13 pieces of candy corn. And I stopped myself. I went to grab more water, and then a sparkling water for good measure. But it's not ideal, and I'll admit, but I'm progressing. The more I think about these habits, I know it's all just self-sabotaging. And for me, I don't really care why I have them. And this isn't a psychology podcast, and I'm no certified professional in the field, although I'm fairly confident I know where they stem from. But what I do care about is being cognizant that I have them and recognizing the behavior when I'm engaging in it. If I see myself opting or indulging or going into that bad behavior, I do my best to either stop it in the tracks. You know, I kind of, I literally will put my hands up and be like, whoa, True Bros, what are you doing? Or if I know that I really am, you know, hungry because I haven't eaten in some, in some hours or drank any water or whatever, I'll switch to a healthy alternative. As if I find myself wanting to snack on something sweet. I pound a bunch of water and boom, odds are that hankering goes to the wayside. But if I am still a little hungry, you know, I reach for that dried, unsweetened fruit. As we discuss all this, I really want to say something that I think all the time. And it's food is like one of the biggest gimmicks out there. Meaning it's something that'll enable you to play yourself if you allow it. And I laugh because I know that statement sounds a little odd, but let's break down what I mean by that. When you've got a craving for something like 
pizza or booze or sweets or whatever, it's real easy to want to give in to that and, you know, have a couple slices or have this or have that, especially if you haven't eaten all day and you're tired or just worn down or whatever. And maybe it's that instant gratification of getting what you want or a sense of satisfaction or whatever. But when it comes to food, these cravings or desires are something that can pop up multiple times per day if you think about it. And that's a recipe for disaster. One thing I can't stand, and I feel like I see it all the time in the fitness and or the self-help content that's created by people. I feel like people try to give one-size-fits-all advice, and that's something I don't like. So that's why I always try to spark conversations or and to illustrate my decisions, my self-awareness, my thought process that I've gone through, so you can kind of apply that to yourself. And I know who I am, and I'll tell you right now, I know that I've got no self-control when it comes to those heavy, greasy foods, that stuff that's chock full of sugar. I know I have no self-control when it comes to that. So I have to keep them out of reach. I can't have them with arms within my arm's length at all. And you might be dying for some cookies or whatever, right? Like me, I have that all the time. Like, uh, you know, I had a long day because, again, we don't have bad days. We just have long days. And, you know, I was in the office. I was away from the house 11 hours, 8 hours, whatever. But I know I'm not going to leave the house and go to the store and wait in line and pick up those cookies because I'm tired, right? It's just too much work. Heck, that same reason is why I literally have no food delivery apps on my phone because I'm all about being frugal, right? Call me the frugal gamer, the frugal runner. And the last thing I want to do is drop money on eating out. So I just can't have those in the house. But let's say you already have those highly processed, chock full of sugar cookies in the house for whatever reason. Let's say you've had a long day and you're tired and maybe you're physically or emotionally hurting. And you just want to have a couple to get that feeling of gratification or satisfaction or whatever. Do you know what you do? And this is again... This isn't me trying to give you one-size-fits-all advice. This is just what I would do if I was in that position. I would throw it in the dang trash and go do something else. I would pound water. And I mean like 32 ounces of water. Not like 8 ounces, not 16, no, no, no. I'm talking 32 ounces. And then I'd chase that with a bit of dried fruit with no sugar added because then I'm full. That processed stuff will be out of sight and out of mind. And... It's not like you're going to be regretting you didn't have them, right? It's not like not eating cookies is going to keep you up at night. The second you throw the weight, you throw them in the trash, you have a bunch of water, you have dried fruit, you're already done. The feeling is passed and it's out of your arm's length. And again, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but that's what I have to do because I know I have no self-control. That's what I mean when I say food is one of the gimmicks that will allow you to play yourself. Consuming food is something we've got to do multiple times per day, especially if we're living a healthy and fit lifestyle. But you're in total control of what you put into your body. Plus, once you're full, you're not going to care mentally or emotionally or spiritually that you stuffed your face with a bunch of water and dried fruit and lean protein. You're going to have that same sense of satisfaction you get on Thanksgiving, right? Like you're one of those people who undoes their belts or whatever after a huge meal. You're going to be stuffed. And the only difference is 
You're going to be feeling way better physically because you pump yourself full of healthy eats and you also won't be wrecking the work you've put in on the track or in the weight room. We've kind of gone off the rails on this one subject a little bit, but I feel like, uh, you know, I've been through multiple race training cycles at this point, both on my own and with clients. And it's easy to view the entire process as routine, especially when, you know, I'm going through mine. I'm helping four or five different clients go through there. So I'm seeing it all the time. And I make a concerted effort to pinpoint a valuable takeaway from every race training cycle I'm involved in. And this particular one has been all about me changing my mindset. As we've discussed over the past few episodes, that's something I'm constantly working on. I'm feeling as over the past, you know, three months or so, like I've got a little more pep in the step. And this can be attributed primarily towards me making a conscious decision to be more positive, to chill the heck out because pretty much nothing is that big a deal and to focus on what really matters. Playing games, making gains, and looking dang good while we're doing it. I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm a pretty laid back person, but I also tend to get in my own head. So I've needed to kind of uh, consciously remind myself to, you know, chill out a little bit. You know, earlier we were talking about the uh, content I've done over at TrueBros.com. And I know I've gotten away from doing video content. And it's really because I don't like being on camera, right? The mixed gym is a little different. Like I like playing that character, playing games, coming up with stuff off the cuff. But, uh, you know, I don't really like being on camera in a produced kind of environment. But I'm feeling like I really want to film the packing and travel process for this upcoming race. And since the wife is going to start doing YouTube videos over the next few weeks, I'm going to, uh, shall we say, consult on a race packing video for this trip so y'all can see what we're both taking. Earlier, I mentioned how when I wanted to run the Las Vegas Strip during my first trip there, I was like looking for ground level videos and photos because I wanted to see what it looks like because, uh, you know, I'm the sort of person who doesn't like knowing what they're getting into, which I think most people can identify with. I think I just take it to a pretty extra level. As a result, even though there's like literally nothing to be nervous about when attending a race expo or whatever, I know I felt pretty nervous when I was packing for my first race just because, you know, you haven't been there before. And when you're an adult, if you think about it, you don't find yourself in too many situations that you've never been in before, right? It's like you go to the office, you go to pay a bill, you go to the grocery store, right? You kind of do the same things over and over. So I think it was just because I was like, I think 26, 27 when I did my first race. And it was like, well, I'm going to something I've literally never done before. And, you know, it was in Disney World, which I had never done, which I had never been to before. So, uh, you know, just that entire process was brand new at the time. So I want to show that preparation and travel process end to end to illustrate it's not that big a deal and it's pretty straightforward because it's easy to uh, to think when you're going to travel for a race like, oh no, it's not like traveling for a regular trip. I got to take this. I got to take that. And it can get a little overwhelming. So you know what? I just talked myself into it. <laughs> I'm either going to film my own video or... Actually, I think what's more than likely is going to happen when my wife films hers, I'm going to have her kind of show my stuff as well. Just so you can kind of see like what I take and what she takes. Because, uh, you know, I know guys and gals don't carry the same stuff when they go to races, right? You guys need certain things. Ladies need certain things. So, you know, we'll take everything. 
just to kind of illustrate what that looks like. So uh, I'll I'll figure that out with her, right? We'll figure it out. I'll see if we can get it up in the next couple of weeks, the video for it. And regardless, I know I've got, I'll start like waxing philosophical here about what I want to do, but let's wrap it up, right? So I'll be in Las Vegas next Sunday. So seven days from now. So if you see me on the course, I expect a fist bump, a firm handshake, and you best be showing me the anyone can run shirts you picked up off the store at truebros.com. So I'll see y'all in Vegas and good luck runners. I appreciate you spending some time with me today, and I hope you're seeing what I see, that truly anyone can run. We drop a new episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast uh, almost every Monday, in case you're in need of that Monday motivation. If you've ever got questions or ideas for a topic you'd like covered in a future episode, or in a video on the YouTubes, or a post over at truebros.com, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at AnyoneCanRunPod or at TrueBros, right? I got both accounts. As much as I love being the face of Mixer over at Mixer.com slash TrueBros, and I'd appreciate if you go smash and pound that follow button, I don't keep a set schedule. I've got gains to get and time with loved ones to spend, but I still like to show up and put on the greatest show. We go live about two or three times a week, and if you want to get involved, Do me a solid and go abuse that follow button if you have like six seconds to spare. If you enjoy Anyone Can Run, notify a fellow runner or someone who wants to kick off their journey on the road to Gainesville so we can all help one another reach our goal of living a healthy and fit lifestyle. It also helps when you leave a quick rating and review in your podcast app of choice to help us reach our goal of dominating the charts. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast. And if you did, don't forget to pound that subscribe button. If you didn't enjoy it well, you get what you pay for. And regardless, I look forward to seeing you on the road to Gainesville.